Hey everybody, welcome to Artifice episode 101. It is a beautiful day here in Utah, sunny and warm. Um, I don't really have any like news news, but the kind of thing that I can guarantee I'll be saying for the next, you know, several months is that the release of this new album is kind of already happening, but it's happening on my mailing list first, um, and then it'll kind of start rolling out to the public. So, um, you know, as always, if you want to stay up to date on that stuff, make sure you're on the mailing list. Um, it's been kind of an interesting feeling. Um, I've been working so hard on this stuff all through the pandemic and am, and finally now after, you know, over a year, um, finally showing some stuff to some other people, which I don't know. It's like, it's a lot of feelings. It's leaving me with a lot of feelings. It's, um, I don't know. It's exciting and, and a little bit scary, um, but mostly exciting. And, you know, I've been saying it nonstop, but I'm really, really proud of this new, this new stuff. Um, so that's, that's kind of it. That's my news. Um, you know, one new video, uh, it was sent to the mailing list a couple weeks ago. I think when you guys are hearing this, it might be coming out publicly later this week. Um, but there are, there are new songs and new videos in the pipe that are coming soon as well. Um, okay. So today's interview is with my friend, um, and sort of, you know, a mentor here locally in Utah, um, just an amazing creative and, and like I said, someone that I really kind of look up to and admire and, and look to for ways to continue um, to be creative and expansive as, you know, we, as I age. Um, so Alan Michael, I've always known him as Alan Michael. And then, uh, and then I realized that he actually used to be Alan Michael Brofman and is going back to Alan Brofman uh, now, or maybe is both now. Um, anyway, he's my guest, and I'm going to read you his bio now. Alan Michael Brofman, performing as Alan Brofman and as Alan Michael, is an American jazz saxophonist, flutist, and composer. He graduated from Boston's Berklee College of Music in 1973, then moved to New York City, where he and several other musicians occupied a vacant building at 501 Canal Street in Lower Manhattan, the building where the total rent came to $140 for four floors, became a hub for musicians to practice and perform, and its occupants played a seminal role in New York City's early 70s loft jazz scene. In 1975, Brofman's debut album, Valley of Search, was released on the India Navigation record label. The album was recorded live in the performance space at 501 Canal Street by Bob Cummins, the owner of India Navigation, and was the label's second release. In the 1970s and 1980s, Brofman spent his time touring as a saxophonist with Carla Blay, the Psychedelic Furs, and Philip Glass. In 1988 which is when I was born. He released the album Lost in Asia on the Passport Jazz label. In 1995, he released the album as Daylight Fades. Then there was maybe not a lot publicly happening for, you know, a, 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 almost two decades, two decades. On June 29th, 
2018, a remastered version of Valley of Search was reissued on vinyl and digital formats and earned Alan Michael Brofman long overdue recognition, complete with a triumphant sold-out 2018 homecoming show at Brooklyn's experimental music venue National Sawdust, along with rave reviews in the New York Times, Pitchfork, and Rolling Stone. Alan released a brand new album, The Fire Still Burns, late in 2020, and he currently lives in Salt Lake City, Utah, where he performs regularly. So yeah, I've known Alan Michael since I lived here in Utah as a person who plays mostly locally. I knew he was from New York, um, but I didn't know much else. And then in 2018, there's this reissue of this album, and suddenly I realized like, he's had this whole kind of storied past and all this amazing... Um, history and I don't know it's just awesome it's a great story it's a really uh it's a quite a triumphant story and um we talk in the interview about what Alan is working on next and it's yeah it's just great and he's great um such a cool guy so without further ado I will uh end this intro and present you with this great interview with Alan Michael Brofman enjoy great art almost feels like magic It opens our minds to brand new ideas and teaches us to see ourselves and our world more clearly. Of course, behind all great art, there are artists. And I think that's where the real magic happens. As we go beneath the art itself to explore how artists do what they do, we see glimpses of the sorts of creativity and resilience that lead to the art that moves our world. And maybe we can learn to borrow some of that magic for our own thinking. That's the goal here. And now that we're on the same page, let's dive in. I'm Emily Merrill. And this is Artifice. If there's anything that you want to just like talk about, like, you know, artist to artist, I love that kind of stuff too. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you can, I'll, I'll direct the conversation, but if you want to like talk about anything specific, just let me know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd like to start with everybody in the same place um, and ask about your childhood. And I'm curious about like two main things. I want to know what your creative environment was like, like, you know, were your parents creative or were there other creatives in your life? And then what were your early like creative interests? Mm-hmm. So you can answer either in either order. I had that kind of a interesting child that I think. Um, uh, I'm just going to move this a little bit. I feel like that's, that's okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Go for it. <laughs> like, um, yeah, my, my child was, um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I had a good childhood. You know, I had a lot of support from my parents. My, my, uh, neither of my parents were musicians, but so many musicians on my father's side. Really? Uh, yeah. I mean, they're all classical, but they, they were really good. I mean, successful classical musicians weren't like dabblers or something. Yeah. I, I have a, a cousin right now who's uh, 17, and she's like an international oh piano gosh. prodigy, you know, done concerts at Carnegie Hall. and everything. Wow. She lives in Mexico. Cool. Um, so your dad's side of the family was like like all music, like kind of a lot of musicians. A lot of musicians, which is funny because it wasn't from my dad that I got into music. It was from my mom. Really? Because she was uh, really into jazz. Cool. And uh, so it was on in the house all the time. What kind of stuff did she like? Uh, really um, pretty adventurous stuff for the time. That's she awesome. listened to Eric Dolphy and you yeah. know, Coltrane and Monk and, you know. How did she get into that stuff? You know, that's funny. I actually don't really know because 
She's not around for me to ask her anymore. It, um, where, so I just said that she was into it. I, I don't know how she Where did comes. you grow up? New York. Okay, okay. Um, so tell, tell me this, like maybe this is a weird question, but you know, for so for the listener, for anybody who doesn't know, like these Eric Dolphy, John Coltrane, like lots of these things are like, um, not super accessible necessarily, like right off the bat. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, I'm sure you feel the same way. And like studies have shown (laughs) when children listen to stuff that, you know, maybe, I don't know, some adults might find like, like dissonant that you, your ears just acclimate, like you just accept whatever. So yeah, I think that's what it was. (laughs) Yeah. Did you remember like, I don't know what I'm trying to ask. I want to know like what your experience was like, you know, maybe hearing that kind of stuff and then also hearing like, I don't know, whatever was on the radio at that time. Like, did you feel like there was a, a big difference? Like, did the music feel different to you? Um, you mean like the music in my house versus what was on the radio? Yeah. Like versus what was kind of like mainstream <laughs> well, or. I s- actually, I, I sought out, um, I remember, um, it's a big deal. My, my mom got me a little clock radio yeah. um, to wake myself up yeah. for school and everything. But now I had a radio and I found all these, there, there was a number of jazz stations at really? that time, you know. So you were seeking out stuff on the radio that matched. Yeah. And they had um, live um, broadcasts every Friday night wow. from the half note. Wow. So yeah. every night I used to listen, listen to that and be with Sonny Rollins one week and Coltrane the next. And So yeah. you, you loved like forward thinking jazz, like from the time you were a little boy. Yeah. Um, and it was, it was a kind of a, a surprise to me when I, when I, I remember that I finally, when I found out not if I'm the only one listening to this stuff. That's what I'm kind of wondering <laughs> about. Like, I want to know like what your relationship was like with the music, like when that was all you knew. And then when you kind of realized that not everyone was listening to that, like how did it color your, I guess I, I realized that, uh, be a good or bad. I was a little unusual. Yeah. <laughs> How did you feel about it? Good. I, th- yeah. I, th- I didn't feel like I was the one out of place. I felt like they were. They weren't. <laughs> they they were weren't missing, hip. They yeah. were missing out. <laughs> what did you like about the, that music? I was very emotional. I, I, it, it really spoke to me on that yeah. level at a young age. I don't say that I felt that that much when I was eight or nine. Yeah. But what time I was twelve or thirteen? You know. Yeah. And, and it was. Uh, it was that music was. Um, revolutionary in a sense, yeah. um, both musically and politically. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. And, um, it was at the time, you know, the, the Vietnam war protests and yeah. civil rights and everything. So it fit right in, you know? Right. Yeah. I didn't, I, I didn't become acquainted with jazz until I was maybe like 16, 17 years old. And, and I pretty quickly, I, I mean, I've told this story on the podcast a bunch, but I had this idea that I wanted to start listening to jazz and I went, I didn't know where to begin. And you know, it was 2004. Mm -hmm. So I went to Barnes and Noble and just grabbed things from the jazz section. And a love Supreme was like one of the records that I happened to grab. That's good. Cause I'd heard of, (laughs) yeah, I got kind of blue Mm -hmm. and love Supreme. And then I got a John Schofield record. And I think, like a, a Quincy Jones, like I just got a bunch of stuff, mm-hmm. just names that I felt like I had heard. And I also liked a love Supreme right away. Like I f- didn't need like my ears like primed, even though I'd never, mm-hmm. I had no tools for how to understand it. And I didn't, uh, I didn't know any of the political background, but I felt right away. Like this music has like these highs and lows, like these kind of, yeah. this kind of breadth of like emotional, 
affect um, that I didn't hear that often. I mean, the, the only thing that I think maybe I could personally relate it to would be like the kind of emotional breath that you'd hear in like some Broadway musicals, mm-hmm. you know, or like symphonies maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. certainly Beethoven. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like works, you know, like larger <laughs> works, but hearing that emotional um, range in like a single tune, I feel like I, I maybe didn't have anything to compare it to. And so love Supreme was a very influential, Influential record yeah. for you. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I had like, because, you know, back, like, for me anyway, like, my, my parents were not, they were not musicians or really fans of music in that kind of way. And so, you know, I had my little CD player and I had my, like, babysitting money, you know, and would buy kind of whatever CDs I could find and then listen to those CDs I again and again. I am not getting on the phone. Oh, I'm that's, getting off the phone. Um, that's fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I'm Making it so my phone won't ring during the middle of this. Oh, yeah. People's okay. phones ring all the time. It's like very casual. <laughs> so I just no powered off my phone. Okay, great. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I I, I don't know. I, I imagine that if I had been a child raised with that kind of music, I would have loved it right away as well. Yeah. Were you, um, were you doing other creative things as a child, like drawing, <laughs> writing? It's funny you mentioned drawing. Yeah. I... I, um, I can draw stick figures. That's yeah. about it. <laughs> you too, or you have some artistic I, talent. I can draw. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not like an artist, but I think, I think for as little training in visual mm. art as I've had, I'm like above average. <laughs> like I have some. <laughs> that's, that's nice. You know, when I'm, I was a little kid, I was as good of a like drawer as a musician. Wow, that's good. <laughs> and then I focused on one of those things. If you would steal that now, you would be quite good artist. Well, I'm actually like, <laughs> I'm doing a visual art project with this new album. Um, I like, I'm, I'm kind of combining those things. Like that's, it's a big theme in my life right now. Like I'm trying to, you know, I've talked a lot about like my childhood being like not a very supportive environment. I don't know if you've like yeah, read I've, any of those I things. Have, that yeah. I've yeah. So I, one thing that I'm really working on in my life right now is trying to kind of like you know, reclaim some of that like sparkle that I feel like I had as a child that yeah. I lost for some time. And, and for me, like kind of getting back into doing some visual art feels like part of that. So mm-hmm. yeah, I'm trying. I'm kind of the opposite on that score because, um, not only do I not have any talent at drawing or yeah. anything, but, um, I'm not a very visual person. And people, you know, like my wife's says something oh, did you see this and I said no I didn't, I didn't notice. notice that you know well it's so interesting <laughs> that you say that because your music is so colorful like mm-hmm. when I listen to your music like when I've seen you play live especially like it feels like a visual to me mm. it feels it, it has that same feeling yeah I, I can see that like the people have told me that I should uh, that some of my music would be good for film scores yeah you know I, I think so. So I normally ask this question about people's childhoods. I normally ask you, like, what were you like as a creative child? So maybe like I'd love to hear you kind of just reflect on like, you know, based on what your parents told you or what you remember. Um, was there like early evidence that you were a creative person? Like, What were you, what were um, you getting into as a child? I don't know. Um, I think I was just pretty Ordinary, well, no, it wasn't ordinary because I got into all these things that ordinary kids didn't get into. But um, generally, I was, you know, mm-hmm. pretty simple childhood. Like yeah. until I was fourteen, my main interest was baseball. 
You know? Okay. And I was a good baseball player and on the little, little league and star player and all that. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to be a baseball player, but of course that's every kid's dream. So, you know, yeah. by one out of a million gets there. But yeah. um, but anyway. you were serious about baseball? I was very serious about cool. it. But then music took over. And I, I remember when I was about 14, I, I actually made a decision. Said, well, what do I want to be, a musician or a baseball player? And I, I went that they had these guidance counselor meetings. Yeah. Um, um, I don't know, maybe it was a little older, 15 or 16, I had yeah. this or something. Um, and there's a meaning about getting you on yeah. the right road to a career or something. Right. Um, and they said, well, what do you want to do? Well, I'm either a baseball player or a musician. Yeah. And they said, well, I just better start thinking about more practically now. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I want to get back to this point because this, this exact point of like choosing a career in the arts is is something I like to talk about with all of my guests, but I, I do just have one last question about like those earlier years. Um, when you say like, I wasn't an ordinary child cause I was getting into all this stuff that other kids, I mean, I think that's part of it. Like, especially when you're a child, I feel like creativity often manifests as like curiosity. Yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. Very good. So yeah. I, I would love to have you reflect on that. Like just whatever. And what I, I'd say that's a good word for describing. I was very curious and I was curious about unusual things though yeah. for a kid. What you else? Know? I was curious about if God existed, yeah. you know, when I was eight years old, right. I talk, ask my mom all the time. My parents um, had no religious beliefs. Um, and so they, was kind of good for me because it, it, I know so many people whose parents did have religious beliefs yeah. and that's why the kids are not into anything spiritual. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's so oh. profound. Yeah. That's really true. Um, but I had an open mind toward it. Um, yeah. not necessarily organized religion, but just, yeah. you know, um, and, um, so I was, yeah, I was interested in, I guess philosophy, religion. I actually, when I was probably about twelve or thirteen, I started getting books on the, out of the library. I read yeah. the the Koran, cool. I read Bhagavad Gita and all that. Wow, um, that's amazing. <laughs> I think that's really significant. You know, like this this podcast is called Artifice, um, and I say this like almost every single episode, but because it's a cool word, <laughs> and also because I really think that our backgrounds as artists are kind of, you know they're maybe not what people would think. And I, I suspect that these things of like just being a curious child, being an open-minded child, um, g seeking out the Bhagavad Gita when you're, <laughs> what, what did you say? 12, 13. Maybe. Yeah. 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 I feel like, you know, if someone's looking at you now, you know, you're you had this write up in Rolling Stone earlier this <laughs> year, which is so cool. And like, you know, all of these other things, it's easy to just be like, Oh, well, this is a person who just, is great at music. And I feel like these other things, like these kind of open-minded, like curiosity stuff, like it's, it's more, I think it's more important to like, I don't know where our motivation comes from, where our inspiration comes from. Mm, Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like yeah. <clears throat> it's practicing your skills and everything, but it's also like going to the library and getting the Quran when you're right, yeah. 12. <laughs> curiosity that it's mm. like, um, a good thing. It makes you learn. Totally. Yeah. And, and you know, maybe part of the reason that I'm interested in these childhood things, like, I think it's partly because, you know, I like to hear about people whose childhoods were more expansive than mm -hmm. mine. And also, you know, as a teacher, I think lots of times, you know, when I'm teaching younger children, I find that their parents can sometimes get fixated on the wrong things. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, they're thinking less about curiosity and, you know, listening, you know, what the child is consuming, what they're 
how they're just sitting down at, you know, the piano or whatever and just playing and exploring. Um, and it, it's sometimes like mm-hmm. it's too rigid. So yeah. Right, I like right. to hear accomplished artists tell a different story. Um, well, I had a, you know, an interesting, a very kind of an unusual um, early um, music. Like relationship um, with music? Or, yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> because um, most people do it the other way, you know, the, the, the standard way, you know, to, you know, like I guess people would call a lot of my music um, on the fringe of being avant-garde, you know, the, the free music and everything. Yeah. So um, I don't necessarily agree with that. Yeah. Um, but I don't the, think I see your music that way. Yeah. <laughs> but, but most reviewers have, mm-hmm. and that's my history. So that maybe they put that in. Yeah. You know, um, the affected. But anyway, um, if anything, I, I look at like um, the the whole free approach, not necessarily. Um, as a standard they use it, whether it has core changes or not and form, right. but more like um, my influence from the, that, that era of jazz is more like an emotional approach, yeah. you know? Yeah, because that makes sense you know, that you can record the same music and um, with a different approach. And it right. can sound like a, a fusion jazz album, you know? Right. So it's not, the, not it's how we, how we play it. You yeah, know? yeah. <laughs> I think about, I talk about this phenomenon with my students mm-hmm. a lot, like, Billie Holiday talked about this in her autobiography. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you can sing the same song, the same, like the same song every day for your whole life. And it it should never be the same song twice because you're never the same person. Yeah. yeah, And that kind of, I don't know, it's like, it's a freedom, but it's also like to to me and like, you know, I'm not, maybe you feel a different way about it, but I try to approach my performing in a similar way. Although my music is composed, but, um, I mean, it's th- it's through composed m- almost yeah, always, and and I'm, uh, you know, like um, it's a composition. I think that that um, it's that's it's funny to say this as a uh, it's you know in free, if you were to go to New York right now, a lot of the um, the f- music in this genre of free you yeah. know jazz, um, it's very it's so much of it now that you know people just get up there and blow. Yeah. No rehearsal, no composition, no mm-hmm. nothing. And uh, this is where I become a traditionalist now. Yeah, you yeah. Know, because, you know, I can say in my day. You know, yeah, now you're the moldy fig Ornette guy. was a good composer. Yeah. <laughs> Cecil Taylor was a good composer. Yeah. Coltrane wrote beautiful stuff. Why are they not doing this anymore? Just get up there and blow. Anybody can do that. You know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yes. No, I, well, I agree with you. I, I love the, well, what I was going to say is I love the kind of meticulousness of composing and arranging. And then in the performance, committing to um like presence you know in in this moment in the venue who the audience is who's in the band mm-hmm. um and letting kind of the i don't know letting the particulars breathe a little based on like who we are that day mm-hmm. yeah um, but it takes a lot of trust as you know yeah and it takes um playing with people that, that you, you know. do trust yeah, you know right <laughs> that's is, what i mean like yeah. you got to have good kind of chemistry and right mm-hmm. um you have to kind of have what I, I'll like the unibrain, the mm-hmm. band. Yeah. Um, so how did you, did you start on saxophone? I started on clarinet when I was eight. Okay. And, and um, how did that happen? Um, well, you know, I was in third grade and all my friends were starting an instrument. Yeah. You know, the, the, the music, the elementary school, I went had, had a decent music program and a good teacher there. Um, 
so they said, well, my parents said, you want to start an instrument? I said, yeah, sure. Well, which one? I said, I don't know. Well, maybe clarinet. Yeah. And that decision, which I given no thought to whatsoever, yeah, it's kind was of very important. Your whole life. Yeah, yeah. If I picked trumpet, it'd be a whole different story. It'd be maybe. a different guy. <laughs> Gosh, I think about that kind of thing a lot too. I really wanted to play drums when I was a kid. <laughs> like I was really, really drawn to percussion and drums and um, my parents said girls don't play drums, oh. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, but I, but I still, I mean, I try to write music. I think I, a lot of times approach composition, like pretty rhythmically. Um, yeah. so you started in clarinet. I think the, I just wanted to ask you, your dad and your dad's family, there wasn't any pressure for you to be, to oh. do music. It was like kind of incidental. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Cool. It was just like, it just ha- I think I want to know, like, if, you know, when you were picking your instrument, were you aware, like, there are all these professional musicians in my family, or is that something you didn't no, really think about No, I had no idea at that point. Okay. You know, I, I actually knew all those people, too. Yeah. But I didn't know. You weren't thinking about what they do. What they did. It's so funny to be a child <laughs> like that. Like, you just have no, just, like, don't know. But my dad is a lawyer, and I remember when I was little, my mom, I asked my mom, what does dad do? And she said he fights for people, <laughs> and I thought my dad was Might like a boxer. A boxer. <laughs> I, I thought that, like, and then I remember being a child and thinking, like, it's weird that he wears a suit. You know, like I remember thinking, like, it's not he leaves the house when you're going in a fight. suit. Yeah, like, and I really thought he, like, I thought he was a, I thought he was a, like a or a wrestler maybe. <laughs> So until, I mean, I, I think I went to like a take your daughter to work day when I was like, you know, eight or nine or something. And we went into like the courtroom and I was like, this is not what I thought. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I remember, and I just remember like keeping that thought to myself, like, <laughs> hmm, this is, I misunderstood. <laughs> um, so tell me about your, like your kind of journey of just like, you know, um, getting to know your instrument, learning to read me. Like, what was your relationship like with music, music education, lessons? That's what I began to say before. It's like, it's kind of was backwards. It's like, um, <laughs> because I was into, when I was, you know, a teenager, those developmental years, I was into all this free music that all my heroes, you know, Albert yeah. Eiler, Coltrane, it's in that free stage and Ferris Sanders and go on and on. Um, that's what I listened to. And, I remember like um, not knowing much about the te- technical stuff in music when I was like 12, 13. Yeah. I had a, um, my my mom got me a, a subscription to Downbeat around that age. Cool. And I used to always re- read about these these uh, uh, musicians talking about the new musicians and that they're not, they're not, um, they don't have a right to play that because they can't play changes. Yeah. Know? And so I, I said, I couldn't give, care less about playing changes, but yeah. I guess I got to learn that be, be, so people don't tell, say I'm right. a fraud. That's so interesting. <laughs> so I didn't learn changes because I cared about that music that much, but right. eventually I did care about it. So, um, so um, when, but I, I, I did it kind of backwards in yeah, that sense. You know? I'm, okay. When, so when you started playing clarinet, you already loved music. Were you like, and I know, you know, eight years old is a long time ago to remember, but like. Do you remember feeling like, like I've talked with a lot of musicians about and and artists in general about kind of like suddenly having this thought of like, oh, I can create the music that I like. Like, were you feeling like that? Like, did you think when you started playing clarinet, like maybe I can play these things? Yeah, I did. Uh, Right away. Of course, you know, 
thinking back, it's it's laughable, you know, that to even think that when you're you know, nine, ten years old. But um, but uh, one of the records that um, I uh, the first record was very memorable. But my mom played a lot was um, Oscar Peterson Trio with Sunday Stitt. Uh, yeah. Live at New and Roy Eldridge live at Newport. Yeah, and Sunday Stitt just blew me away. And, this, and this, I remember trying to do this, you know, ten year old, eight, nine year old doing yeah. this choppy thing, this improvising. You know, and my mom, I said, "Look at this! I could do this too." Yeah, you know, it's kind of cute now, you know. <laughs> I love that. I mean, I think that's really, really important. Like, you know, again, I talk about this with my guests all the time, but it's this like ownership and permit like permitting your young self to see yeah. yourself as being part of this thing right. that you love yeah because it, it actually is was a part of the development so totally <laughs> so when you picked clarinet were you like like did you pick clarinet because you like clarinet players no that's, yeah i think that's why i'm like <laughs> like why didn't you just pick like saxophone or trumpet or bass or uh, I think the clarinet was the one was available, I think. Okay. Yeah. yeah it's kind of a practicality thing. <laughs> so what happened? Um, I guess maybe I just have one other question um, before we talk about how you got into saxophone, but do you, um, were, were you, were you exceptional at music as a child? Like were your teachers, were you, were you, you know, above average? I would say when it was above average, yeah, I wouldn't go as far as exceptional. Definitely yeah. not. Um, like, um, I was first clar clarinet, you know, in the, yeah. in the band and orchestra and everything. I mean, I was good, but I, I wasn't any kind of prodigy. Yeah. You know? um, did you feel like, I don't know, I always try to think about the the places where we lose creatives, like the places where people kind of fall off. And I think, you know, being a child and getting either praise or criticism from adults in your life can be like a big thing. Did you kind of, I think I just want to know like what your relationships were like with like your teachers and kind of like the structure. Like, did you feel like my relationship with this is separate from them? Did mm -hmm. you feel like their feedback was like, how oh, important mean, was it to you? Music teachers, you mean? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, uh, like how are you negotiating these like structural I things? I didn't have any any private uh, private lessons in the beginning. They had okay. group lessons in at school, and I just actually uh, practiced a lot for you know that early stage. I remember when I was eight or nine, having many days I would go three hours or something. Yeah, and I don't can't remember what I spent three hours playing because oh, I didn't know amazing. enough stuff to to what, practice. What were you motivated by? I just like doing it. Yeah, that's fun. Yeah. I didn't have. Um, uh, have something to do. Yeah. I think that's a perfect answer. Like, I think I was kind of wondering whether your motivation was coming from teachers or, you know, peer. No, and no, no. It was no. just like totally mm -hmm. intrinsic. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. I was pretty, um, I was very much a loner, you know, when I was a kid. Um, baseball was the only group thing I, I, yeah. I really got involved with. Um, I was like a very quiet, like, um, like happily lonely child. Yeah. yeah that was well. very, never mm -hmm. I would say I was a loner by choice, yeah. actually. Yeah. I was the same way. Like I would sit at the piano and just play mm -hmm. and sing for so long. Yeah. I used to love like my favorite, favorite thing from probably the time I was maybe 10, 11 to, I don't know, finishing high school was like checking out a book on like maybe Thursday, Friday from the school library and just spending the whole weekend reading. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and I spent a lot of time drawing and yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I really liked being kind of solitary, but I felt b 
busy. Like I felt very stimulated. I just, you yeah. know, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So maybe we're kind of similar in that where, way. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Arizona. All right. Okay. Yeah. yeah so I, I did a musically, like I didn't, I mean, I can't imagine growing up in New York and having access to like, cause I, <laughs> I didn't have any of that. You know, I had no oh, idea man, what I, I was, was doing. That was like, like being a kid in a candy store yeah. over there. And especially in that era, you know, like growing up in, you know, sixties, yeah. um, like, um, because uh, I've always had, um, or at that time at least, I had um, very good, um, I wouldn't call it luck. I just, maybe it was, I just kind of lucked into really good situations for hearing music. Yeah. The first one was uh, when I was uh, 17, uh, I got a job. This is like the um, the summer before I went off to Berkeley in Boston. Yeah. You know? um, I got a job at the a Bleecker Street Cinema it was like the art wow. cinema in New York. Yeah. Played all like the foreign films and everything. Cool. Um, and, you know, it was run by a bunch of hippies. Yeah. Not, you know, cool people. So yeah. they, they, I was just tearing tickets there, but they, they said, oh, take the key. Um, you can come here and practice. Yeah, you know? that's awesome. So, I, I, you know, I lived a few blocks away, but I couldn't practice at the house there. Um, right. And, it was too um, loud or something. I was living yeah. with my sister. Yeah, yeah it was too yeah. loud. Uh, my sis, older sister, she, she had her own part, so I moved in with her. Um, cool. Um, and so instead of having like a, no place to play, I wound up um, having a whole movie theater to play in. Yeah. Anytime, as long as the movie wasn't playing. Wow, that's so, awesome. So I would stay after uh, at the close and, and um, you know, practice. Yeah. But in the nights I didn't practice afterwards, you or even movies. sometimes. It's, Oh, no. Um, (laughs) The Village Gate was right down the block. It was like, you know, one block away from the Bleecker Street Cinema. And they had a a reciprocal arrangement with the um, Bleecker Street Cinema that um, each employee of the other's employees would get into the the venue for free. So, uh, you know, Village Gate was on my walk home. So it'd be like... um, Sometimes I'll, I'll go right after I'm done or sometimes I practice an hour and catch the last set. But yeah. it'd be like, um, you know, Miles Davis for a week, Charles Mingus for a week, wow. um, Roland Kerr for a week, Roy Haynes band for a week. Oh, my gosh. Um, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> the Miles Davis band with Tony and uh, Herbie yeah, and yeah. Wayne Shorter. Oh, my gosh. Just be able to see that every night for a set on my way home, you know, six, 17 years That's old. That's crazy. <laughs> That's crazy. Did you yeah. have, like, any idea at that time, like how significant that was? Well, I did, but yeah. I, well, I, I had a, an idea that it was very significant, but what I didn't have an idea was that these were like, um, innovators that you weren't going to see again, you know, right? like, because, you know, like, um, there've been of course innovators before in jazz plenty, yeah. but these are the first innovators for me. Right. And you figure, well, yeah, today's Miles Davis, tomorrow be somebody else. But no, tomorrow's nobody else. It's Miles Davis. You yeah, know? that's really interesting. Do you want to talk more about that? Like, what are your theories about, like, why there ha- I mean, yeah. Yeah, what, why do you feel like Miles Davis is, like, like there hasn't been an equivalent, like, since? Well, because he was an innovator. And, you know, it's like, it's that, I always, like, think about, like, um, uh, Related back to like a explorers, like yeah. supposing you were a captain of a ship and you were an explorer and wanted to f- find new land I'm to Leif do whatever. I'm Leif Erikson right now. What's that? I'm Leif Erikson. Oh, yeah. Okay, <laughs> fine. <laughs> um, let's I'm not fu- get a political thing. I'm saying it's <laughs> oh. Columbus, so. <laughs> oh. 
don't know. Uh, this is just an analogy. But Marco anyway, Polo. if you were, if that was your, your passion for exploring, would you rather be living now or in 14, 1500? Right. Oh, s- yeah. There's a lot I more see. land to explore in I 1500. I see what you're saying. You know? yeah. So Miles explored it. Now, other new things and things that have happened. There's been certainly great trumpet players since Miles yeah. and great innovators, but that was one time thing for him. Right. You know? I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Do, and you don't think there are equivalents now, or there are, but well, they're the, just well. I don't think there's equivalents of the, the the. I mean, there's there's wonderfully great and innovative musicians today. But, uh, it's not necessarily a bad thing, maybe that there's no. John Coltrane, because yeah. it means it's one person isn't going to hog all the, of the influence. Not right. everybody has to sound like John right. Coltrane. <laughs> well, things are just so much bigger now. I mean, yeah. accessibility to recording. Yeah, even just, ex- I mean, when sometimes I forget, like sometimes I'll, I'll kind of like remember that recorded music has only been around for like a hundred years. Yeah, right. And sometimes I'm like, oh, that's why like these things were significant in a different way in the 20s and 30s because everything was brand new. Like you said, there was all this unexplored. But, yeah. But, and that's the thing. It was so exciting then because uh, like, you know, like before, um, <laughs> 60, 70, 75 years ago, rock and roll didn't even exist. Right. right? So right. if you were going to ex- look for music to explore, there was genres that didn't even exist. Right. Or even just like, <laughs> even just technology innovations, like, you know, with rec- like recording technology mm-hmm. and microphones and like, just the the different kind of ways that people could be creative with like synthesizers. I mean, right, yeah. that's not like that's that's just standard now. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. Right. Yeah. So I mean, it's certainly not saying that there's that the music is dead. And there's not going to be any more innovation. I'm just saying that it's going to go. Innovation is way. harder and it's slower. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, you had the new thing, the new music happened after Bebop, well, like 20 years later. Yeah, right. And six years since then, there's been certain move, changes in music, but yeah. nothing that upended it. Right. That's really interesting. I, yeah. And that at that time that you were seeing all those people, yeah, it was like I was right that, on the cusp yeah, of that. Yeah, I was that. at the upending wow. part of the spectrum. That's really cool. <laughs> um when you were talking before about seeing your school counselor and saying it's going to be music or baseball, um, can you tell me how you got to the point that you started seeing yourself as potentially a professional musician? Like how, how did that happen? Um, well, you know, I think I was a bit of in a, a daze about that, you know, because if I think the thing to do, if you really want to be a professional musician as a career and a money kind yeah. of thing that yeah. um, you get your doubling totally down, do the oboe and the flute and piccolo and the clarinet and the bass clarinet and all, all of the saxophones. And you go ahead and try to get, you know, the Broadway shows and studio yeah. work and everything in those days. It's not but as much as that. Around, but no, I wasn't so- thinking about that. If, if I had yeah. thought about that, that's oh, what I, I would have, Folks, I was just thinking, thinking about, um, it was kind of an idealistic time, you know, sure. which I'm kind of glad it was because, uh, because, uh, idealism is good. What, I think I'd like to know what level you were playing at, like at that time, what, you know, at the time that you're saying to the counselor, like, like, cause you know, I can imagine someone who's like, I can imagine a high school student now who's like 17, 18, who definitely could make it as a musician, who could, you know, go to North Texas, go to Berkeley, really mm-hmm. excel, and then find work in any city they go to. 
talking to their school counselor and their school counselor saying, you need to be more practical. Mm -hmm. We're like, music might be like quite a practical choice for this person. And it could also be the opposite where like, you know, you're 17 and you really aren't ready or cut out. Um, So which was it more for you? Like, were you playing at a pretty high level? Yeah, I think, I know it's hard to say. I wish I had some recordings of when I was 16 or 17. I've got nothing, but, um, uh, I, I would say thinking back that, um, if I had described my playing back then, I would I probably would fit into somewhere. Yeah, he's got some talent. He's good. He, you know, he's not great. You know, it's this. It's, yeah. um, if um, uh, there might not have been anything that um, stood out at that point point from anybody else. Yeah. Well, if, because I mean, what you're, you're looking at that time, which not formed at that time, is yeah. the. the your creativity, right. you know, what you, what you're going to bring to the music, what emotional thing, there's so many other things to bring than yes. just technique to music. And that's undefined at that spot. Right. And I think those became more of my strong points than the technique. I love that. And that's one of the main reasons why I, that's like my favorite thing about you as a musician. <laughs> like I, I really, I, I think I feel like a kinship there. I'm like, I'm <laughs> but earlier, but, you're, but you're, you're extremely as vocalist, very technically proficient. Thank you. Telling. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, well, this is say no, um, thanks to college. Say yeah. two words, uh, uh, jazz crimes. Yes. Oh my gosh. I forgot you heard me play that. I heard you in live play it. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, that song is really hard. Yeah. <laughs> I did that for my master's recital in college. And then I thought this can't be the only time I do this tune. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh, well that day that you saw me at the Utah Arts Festival, I had bronchitis too. Oh, oh man. Yeah, I had like full on bronchitis. God, that must so. be terrible singing with a bronchitis. Yeah. I, I, it's horrible playing with a cold. Yeah, I could know, barely breathe and my my vocal folds were so swollen. Like, um, yeah, it was a rough. And I think I was taking, I was like, had had like cough syrup you know i think it was like i I barely remember that performance like it's very foggy but i'm glad it made a good impression (laughs) it did you sounded great um but i was i mean just maybe i'll just say like i know you know this but maybe for the listener like what i'm understanding you know maybe your playing was like you had you had some technical ability you had like the you know, the, the underpinnings of creativity ready to go, but you also were not naive. Like you'd been Mm -hmm. seeing all these great players. You knew what a career might look like Mm -hmm. and kind of what level you might need to play at, um, when you were considering music. So your counselor said you need to be more practical and and you said, I didn't didn't listen to him. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so then you went to Berkeley just like a couple years after that. Yeah. Uh, right out of high school. What do you want to say about your time in college? Like anything kind of significant in your creative Um, artistic development? I I was saying that in college, um, I did, I actually one of the Unusual ones who actually graduated Berkeley. Um, so many people go there for a semester or a year or something. Um, I I did. Uh, I was. I did. Um, I was actually in Boston three years. I got the four years degree because I I um, uh, took time off in between and came back to New York and played and everything. And then I would make it up going by summers or something. Okay, cool. Um, I would have gotten a lot more out of it. Had I been um, older, you know, yeah. everybody goes Gosh. to college, not everybody, but most people go to college right after high school. It's like the, the, the thing, high school, college career. Right. But a lot of times I think that uh, college would be much more productive if people were went when they were a little I older and more mature. Could not agree more. Yeah. 
I think sometimes I think back about because I I did I went to North Texas when I was nineteen, mm-hmm. and I finished my master's degree when I was twenty four. Wow. And yeah, I mean, I did not have the emotional maturity to get the most out of that those the faculty. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I was terrified. Um, you know, like I, I was really good at getting my homework done and like doing my things, but I wasn't, I was not in a place where I could cultivate that creativity, I think. Yeah. Cause I was just, yeah. I was yes. too yes. scared. So, yeah. And like, uh, so, you know, all I wanted to do was play. And so I would, um, I would practice a ton. I would, um, play, practice, you know, five, six hours a day. Um, which, you know, it's not really a ton, but. Um, no, it's significant, but, um, there's a funny story. Um, I thought I put this on Facebook. Maybe you've seen it. Um, yeah, I, I can't remember who told this to me when I, um, somebody in Salt Lake, when, I, um, some saxophone player in Salt Lake, it might've been, um, one of the older saxophone players who's no longer alive. <laughs> um, but anyway, the story is that, um, Stan Getz came to Salt Lake in yeah. the eighties and did one night here, some club. And, um, uh, no, Stan Getz had the, um, I think, um, uh, was bipolar. Yeah. Oh, I um, didn't know that. And um, anyway, whether he's bipolar, not formally, or whether he's just um, kind of uh, hot and cold. Yeah, or just a, just hot. A bit of a <laughs> yeah, <laughs> unfriendly guy. Whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. People would know. That, don't go and talk to Stan in the middle of on the, on the break. You know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so this local saxophone player. Um, Went up to him in the break and said, Mr. Guess, I'm a local saxophone player here and I, you're my idol and I would give anything to play like you. Yeah. And Stan was very friendly for a second. He said, oh, that's wonderful. Thank you. How much do you practice a day? And the guy said very proudly, he said, oh, five or six hours a day. And Stan <laughs> turned to him and said, well, it took me 10 and turned around and walked away. <laughs> mm, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think about it? I think it's a great story. Yeah. yeah I wish I could yeah. have done 10. I never, I, I was kind of crapped out after six. Yeah. I <laughs> never, I, you know, I think about this a lot. Like for me, it's a question of like, where are the lines around practice? Like what can we call practice? Cause I yeah. know like, I mean, are, cause there's practicing your instrument and there's practicing like your creativity. And mm-hmm. I practice my creativity best when I'm like on a walk. You know, yeah. like, and so is that part of my practice time to like go walk five miles and just think about stuff? Well, I think it, I think it is, but I guess when you're, you know, like, um, it, first year in college, it wouldn't right. be, it wouldn't help the, you that the much. Six hours right. practice is going to help you <laughs> <Right>. more. <laughs> oh, yeah. When I think sometimes about how much practicing I was doing, I feel like I can't believe it. Like I can't. I can't remember what that felt like to do that much practicing. <laughs> I wish I had the time, you know, yeah. I did have, that was a, the nice thing is, um, when I was, uh, moved back to New York after Boston, uh, moved back to, um, with friends that I was playing with in Boston, we rented a whole building, yeah, music, cool. music building. Wow. So, uh, it was very cheap at the That's time. Awesome. Um, so I was still able to practice, you know, 24 seven. That's so. great. And that's, that was really nice living in New York city, being able to do that. Cause that's the main worry is you get a place hard enough to find any places to live in New York. Yeah. But they have a place that you can also play at. Right. That's awesome. So I was reading like a couple of different bios of yours that I found online last night, just trying to think <laughs> of like, what else I want to ask you? I mean, I know, I know you now. I mean, like, I know you were like, I've, I've only known you what, six, seven years. And yeah. I know you as 
you know, Alan Michael living in Salt Lake City. Um, and I know sometimes like, you know, the things that end up in bios are maybe not the things that feel like as significant to you, but I want to talk, the things that I want to talk about are the development of your creativity, the development of your artistic identity, any like sort of, you know, like lessons or wisdom that you feel like you wish people knew. So, you know, as you're looking at, you know, the time from, you know, when you finish school and you're kind of like officially, you know, I'm a professional musician now to now, um, like, I'd love to hear you talk about how you kind of started making your own records. So maybe we can kind of start there. But I guess what I'm saying is I'd love for you to kind of tell me like, what's like, what, what's the magic in there? Like, what are the things in those decades that you want to talk about? Oh, well, when I, you know, moved back to, um, uh, New York New after York, Boston, yeah. we were just talking about now uh, the building on 501 Canal Street. Um, I guess that was, uh, we used to give concerts there and it was never named it any other place other than 501 Canal. Yeah. Um, but, uh, we had a storefront in the, on the first floor and the four floors above that all, um, nothing but musicians. Cool. And, um, but not only musicians, but mis we all play with each other. So right. we were able to work on our music together and be supportive and all that. Cool. And, uh, it was a pretty creative period. Uh, we, you know, a lot of, uh, we were independent, you know, had our own space to, to perform and, um, it was that decent crowds come to see it. So, um, in, in 1975, um, this started in 73, in 1975, um, I did my first album, um, and, uh, kind of interesting how it came about. Um, we were playing every week, so that's that was a workshop where we can really develop music. So yeah. I was writing a lot and had a lot of, a lot of stuff. It's pretty creative period, so I figured uh, I didn't know how I get to record it and think about it. But um, I was friendly with um, the great legendary bass player Cecil McBee, yeah. and uh, got friendly with him when he was playing in Boston and hung out a bit. Um, and he said when I um, come back to New York, look him up. So I did. Yeah. And it wound up that he asked me to play on his first record that cool. he called, um, on Strata East label called Motima. And, um, so when it got time, uh, anyway, he invited me up to his house. He was having a party one night and he introduced me to, um, this guy who is a, a corporate lawyer, but his passion was jazz. He was starting this new label, Indian Navigation Company. Cool. And, um, so his name was Bob Cummins, and um, he eventually came down to hear us play at Canal Street and said, oh, one, um, we were the second rec record released on that. And just brought his recording equipment into the storefront wow. at Canal Street and recorded it just like a concert. Um, cool. So your first record's like a like a live record. Yeah, well, without there was audience. no audience, yeah. so we recorded like a concert. There's no audience, so. Yeah, but, um, but live in the sense that. You're not doing multiple takes or anything no, like that. No, there wasn't much of that going on as, as much kind anymore then. In general, yeah. Right. <laughs> I forget. This is, see, this is like, I'm, I forget. Like, I mean, I was in the recording studio all day yesterday. just had to be better. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Although I do feel like the standards are higher now sometimes. Yeah, they like, are. They're, they're, like no one will gets... forgive you for like no. the smallest mistake. Also, also every generation that goes by... Um, there's more innovation in technique and theory and harmony and ways of New, practicing. Nuance, Music yeah. always gets harder. You yeah, know? yeah. <laughs> yes. 
Yeah, I think about that sometimes. And it's like, like it, you know, like um, <laughs> musicians before 1960 didn't have to learn Countdown. Right, right, <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah, I think about that sometimes, though, and I'm, I'm grateful that it is the way it is. Although, well, I mean, I'm in the middle of like three thoughts, but I think about someone like Billie Holiday who had really bad technique mm-hmm. and like is not a... She's not a singer's singer. Yeah, she's you know, she's like a, a, a belt, poet. She doesn't she's a, belt it out. You know? She hardly has any range at right. all. I mean, her whole range is like it's, an octave. Her breath support's not good. Her and tone is really raspy. Better, <laughs> right, but she she's like a poet singer, you know, and, and mm-hmm. what a gift that like, you know, Billie Holiday was like, that the competition wasn't such that because she's not a, you know, a singer singer, she doesn't get to sing. Here's a question for how would Billie Holiday have done on an American American Idol? She couldn't have been. I mean, exactly. yeah, she would have. I think about that all the time, so, and it it it. I'm glad that we have like so many recordings of Billie Holiday, even as mm-hmm. short as she lived. But then I also think, who are we missing now? You know, like <laughs> who? What Billie Holidays are there in the world now? Who who can't? You know, who don't? Singers. We don't have enough stuff to kind of get the visibility that they but but need. that but that's interesting though when you say about her you know like um not having as much technique as some other singers definitely not like Ella Fitzgerald or something yeah, or Sarah Vaughan, yeah. but um I think that's the crux of it right there because thinking back to the, my if I think about the my my favorite this personal my favorite music very few of my favorite players were the best players of their day the but to me way. they made the best music you know I think I think when I talk about this a lot with my students too, you know, and obviously like I'm a person who cares about technique, (laughs) um, I think sometimes when you have limited technique, you have to be more creative. Yeah. You You either fade away and do nothing or, 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 um, you find another way. You have to get creative within your limitations. Mm -hmm. And then if you can develop that creativity and then also have great technique, then you have all the options. Yeah. Uh, uh, I often feel I like if right, I had though. to pick one or the other, I would pick creativity, you know, yeah. I mean, it seems like a no brainer well, to me. Yeah. It, that's what I would wind up picking for the, what I listen to. Yeah. You know? Me too. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. And I, I'm not one that's like, I don't really care if things are like really impressive, you know, I'm like, I can be impressed, yeah. but I, I don't, not, I kind of don't care. And that's the thing right there again, you know, you're hitting the nail on the head. It's like, when I listen to some musicians, you, know, you say they're sold with the technique and the creativity, you know, John Coltrane. Yeah. Um, but then there's others that don't have as much technique, but they got tons of creativity. And um, um, where is it going? I lost my... I was Something going somewhere. about like, well, I was saying <laughs> that I, I don't care if things are like really wow factory, if they don't also... Oh, yeah, I know where I was going. I, was, I listened to some, you know, some modern day saxophone players um and wow they're impressive but like saying i feel like it's like watching a musician yeah yeah not a musician but a magician yeah yeah how did you do that i can't figure out how he did that you know i could never do that but did you like it no i didn't that much you know (laughs) after we're done recording i'll we'll have to see if we're thinking of the same the same person because i have like a specific person in mind that (laughs) We won't mention the name on, (laughs) on, on but after, we'll say it after. (laughs) Yeah. I've got a specific person in mind that, that, yeah, I saw him play once. I think that doesn't give enough away because there's a lot of male sax players (laughs) um, who I saw play once and it was really, really impressive. And I, 
did not care. Right. It's, did not it's, care. Appreciate all the technique. <laughs> well, I wish I could do that. That was a that was a hell of a like cadenza, but like I do not care. And then there's people like like comes to mind like a Don Cherry, a trumpet player who's yeah. original with Ornette's yeah. band and everything, who's um personally if I had to pick one musician to listen to. It would probably be him yeah. um, because his music is influenced from all over the world. It's, it's when it's, it's, you say it's free music. It's free in the true sense. It's not free in the technical sense. It's not using yeah. chord changes. It's free in the sense that it's, it just goes anywhere at once. Yeah. There's no bounds on it. And he doesn't have that much technique as a trumpet yeah. player. Yeah. I'm not that familiar with, I mean, I've, I've only really listened to a couple of Ornette mm -hmm. records mm -hmm. like in depth. Um, I don't, I'm sure I don't know that like, you know it, but I love, like, I love Pat Metheny, mm -hmm. which is, you know, pretty technical, but the things I love are like the orchestrations, you know, yeah. and that feels kind of free and unfettered mm -hmm. yeah. in a way that's really satisfying to me. It's so colorful. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, when it's just like a lot of blowing over changes, sometimes I just feel like I respect you, but I'm I'm tired and bored. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's just me though. Like, um, I, 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, I want to ask, like, but let you, me just say, oh. it won't be bored because they're playing over changes. They'll be bored because they're not bringing anything to it. <laughs> sure, sure. It's not the yeah the the, the, the dynamics aren't mm. doing you know anything or yeah yes totally I'm with you. Mm -hmm. Um, I wanted to ask when you were first when you were making your first album. Like, I, th I think what I want to know is, were there things that you were struggling with at that time, like creatively or in terms of like, you know, am I allowed to stretch out in this way? Like, you know, kind of coming into your own, like, was that ever difficult for you or, or pretty natural? No, it's pretty natural because we were doing it every, every week, yeah. you know, every weekend playing this stuff live yeah. like, at, at our, our own place. So we just felt pretty relaxed. Let's just go and do it. But Did, um, did you ever like, I mean, maybe in your... I don't know, twenties, thirties, like, did you, did you have things that felt like kind of, I mean, we all have like, we all have like money things that are kind of hard to figure out, but I mean more like creative things, like art, artistic identity things that were like hard for you to figure out. I can't really. You kind of just were moving forward. Yeah. Um, no. Is there any, it yeah. Didn't seem to um, come into many roadblocks that I, it just seemed to. How did you do that? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think like, you know, I do this podcast for so many reasons. And a big part of it is I think like, you know, I didn't grow up around creative people. And so I think I, I love hearing other creative people just talk about what it's like in their mind, you know, um, and kind of what, what, how they're doing the things they're doing. You know, it's like, um, uh, I think you're giving me credit for a bit more self-awareness that I had at the time about well, all this I don't stuff. Know. I mean, I don't know about that. Cause I think like, <laughs> I think in a lot of ways I was pretty self-aware in my twenties. I mean, I was certainly self conscious, conscious, you know, like I, I was conscientious, um, self-aware in the sense that I was very meticulous about not letting people down, you know, always practicing a lot, um, self-aware about maybe what, where I was in sort of a pecking order, but um, I, 
almost felt, you know, I feel maybe conti- I continue to feel maybe like a little bit of envy for my fellow musicians who <laughs> weren't as self-aware. Like, well, there's no, kind I, of a maybe I use the wrong that. word there. Um, I would, I guess in the sense you use it self-aware of all that stuff. I'm talking about like, I didn't analyze it that much. I just kind of, it seemed like I was here doing it. Well, and that's what I mean. Just I came mean, I like, this is what I'm doing. So. It's kind of a gift. I think when, when you're just a, when you're maybe able to be present like that, it could be a gift or it could be that, um, that, I had nothing else to fall back on. It's like climbing up a, a mountain where there's no yeah. way down. And, and it that, didn't you feel, keep going up. Did it, I mean, if you put it like that, like, did it feel like bravery to you? Like, did you feel like you were like taking risks? Like, did, did you feel that? No. Uh, yeah. It, it feel like um, the risk would have been for me having a nine to five desk job or sure. something. You know? Yeah. <laughs> this was, this was fun. Yeah. It, yeah. And it didn't, it did never feel like, you weren't thinking about like, you know, will people like this music or you were just, you were just present. Well, I mean, I knew I was quite aware that a lot of people wouldn't like this music, right. but th- th- a lot of people would. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, what was it like? Like, so your, your early records were like successful. Uh, interesting. I know it's like um, a ridiculous word, but. Over the first album is called Valley of Search. Um, I wouldn't, I was successful in the sense that it got good reviews and yeah. um didn't get a lot of re- reviews at the time there wasn't that um it wasn't like the internet now with all these blogs and, you know, i think that the, the latest album i did got that 30 or 40 reviews amazing <laughs> yeah. but um but anyway um i have i forgot about it yeah. um it's like 1975 and um in um 2018 my nephew, who I um, I had raised him, we've always been really close, and he's very successful in, in the music business. Got in the business side of it. Um, cool. um, he, uh, he has his own label, and um, he, he decided he asked me if if, if I'd be up for um, he's putting out a lot of jazz, and um, if I'd be up for uh, him to reissue that that mm-hmm. album. And when it reissued in 2018. It got like all the reviews that I wish I had in yeah. 1975. Yeah, how and did it, how did it feel? Sorry, I interrupted you. Go ahead. I had no idea. I mean, like that that this album had become like a, had some cult following. Like this one sold like for over four hundred dollars on oh eBay. It's one of the originals because I don't know. You had no idea. Not nah, I didn't. What? That's crazy. So anyway, we reissues it and <laughs> go back to New York, and you know the album gets now it gets critical acclaim, and um. Uh, we go back and do some concerts and um, that kind of uh, lit the fire uh, to um, continue on and do another one. Yeah. So um, it led to the, the latest one, The, the Fire yeah. Still Burns. Yeah. Uh, I don't even know what to ask. Like I, okay, I want to talk about these things because this big like resurgence that you're having, but like, I also feel like we skipped like three decades. <laughs> Is there anything, I mean, what do you, so again, like the things that I, that I love talking about, like creative development, identity, like artistic identity development, and just, I don't know, big important lessons or like philosophies that you've developed. Um, what do you want to tell me about those in-between decades? The in-between decades, um, like, um, uh, <clears throat> well, you know, I was playing, um, and it's hard to, you want to like a, I guess I can't really I get into an itemized year like, by year yeah, thing. Whatever you, 1978 whatever you was really a, a very inspirational gig I had um, for three years. Um, 
working and touring with uh, Carla Blaze band. Um, I don't know if a lot of people know her out here, but she's a great jazz composer. Yeah. Um, toured the country and Europe and everything. And um, that, I made some records in the 80s for, um, and this gets on a different topic. Um, uh, I made a record that got released by Passport Records um, called Lost in Asia. Yeah. Um, it, it was very different. You know, it was more... Um, it was more commercially oriented, but it's actually what I wanted to do. Yeah. So, how um, old were you when that came out? Oh, what mid thirties. Okay. Uh, um, um, but anyway, um, uh, the funny story is that um, when you called me Alan Michael, I had to clarify yeah. this because um, uh, the fir- I was born not Alan Michael. I was right. born Alan Michael Brofman. I'm aware of this now. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, since your new record started coming out, I was like, but that's what I meant. Like, I know you as Alan Michael, and yeah, then like no. he has this whole other well, the thing. Sto- the story yeah. is that um, uh, when I was uh, doing that album in the 80s, Lost in Asia, I, I produced myself and, you know, financed myself and got it done. And then doing the usual thing, just sending around to companies. Yeah. And... Uh, was invariably sent around to companies and call up a few weeks later and um, get on the phone and, hi, this is Alan Brofman. And the receptionist would say, Alan Brofman? No, Brofman. I wound up spending five minutes talking about my name, spelling it and everything. And I got so sick of that. I said, okay, the next one I'm sending out without the Brofman, my middle name's Michael. Let's see what happens, Alan Michael. Yeah. And uh, the next one I sent out to is Alan Michael was uh, Passport Records and they said yeah we want to put this out so wow. I said well maybe it's a sign okay I'll be Alan yeah. Michael and then uh, so that was Alan Michael and then in 2018 when Value Search got re-released well they couldn't release it re-release it as Alan Michael yeah. it's an Alan Brofman album so I said I'll go back to that you know it's yeah. fine <laughs> wow um really though like I I want to know I mean I see you as like a person who's like, I hope that you're farther down a path that I'm on. Like I, I hope, I hope that like, you know, I'll, I can be like you when I grow up. Um, and so I'd love to know, like, I'd, I'd love to know what you feel has been significant to your development throughout your life. So, and I, and I want to talk about this, all this cool stuff that's happening lately with the fire still burns, but, um, yeah, I mean, what, or we could just talk about music, like, no, I'm up for anything. What, what would you like to talk about? Like, what what do you what do you want to talk about with me? Um, there's so many things we could talk about. I don't know. Okay, like, well, <laughs> if you think of anything, let me know. And other- I, I, I'm I'm very much into um, uh, going back to you know when I was a kid asking my mother about God when I was eight years old. It hasn't left, you yeah. know. <laughs> I think a lot about that kind of stuff. Yeah, too. and uh, um, I think that. Not necessarily religion, but spirituality is very important uh, to me. Were you, um, like, is that, do you feel like that endeavor um, was a big part of, like, those in-between decades? I think it's um, always been, you know, it hasn't, it hasn't changed that much since I was, like, remember asking my mom about that when I was eight. So you released Lost in Asia in your 30s, and then was there another record? Um... There was another record, but um, it was more like, um, not really, it was some outtakes of something. Okay. There, there, there was an incomplete record. There's some stuff on that other record I really, really liked, but other stuff, so I never considered that other one. And it was didn't get, um, like it wasn't released, released. by a, a label or anything. So. Okay. Um, when did you move to Salt Lake? In the mid-90s. Okay, so you were in like your... 
40s? Yeah. Okay. Early. So, just turn. Um, is there anything else you want to tell me about like those last couple of years in New York? Like any kind of like final New York highlights? <laughs> well. Or lowlights. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I didn't want to leave New York, but, um, you know, we had two kids at that point and mm. rents were just getting exorbitant. Um, yeah. And they kept climbing. We saw the hot hair running on the wall. The, the place we were, um, that we were at, uh, at finally on, on, uh, in Chelsea at 26th Street, was 750 a month when we moved there, and it was, then it was up to 1500. And then went back to visit my neighbors about five years later, and it was 4500. Oh my gosh! A month. Yeah, so and and every place was like that. It wasn't just like this yeah. one building, you know. So, um, so my wife used to live in Salt Lake, so okay. you know, she suggested move back. And I said, I'll try anything. Yeah, and you love the outdoors, so it's yeah, I do, and it's been good for um, I don't know, you know, I was running in New York, but um. I don't know if it's a compliment to Salt Lake how much I got into running here because yeah. part of it was that I felt that wasn't I had to find something that satisfied sure. me, you know, yeah. and, and I wasn't um, I wasn't um, like stimulated enough or something. I, well, inspired. I, I I will say this, you know, I don't want to end uh, uh, antagonize anyone. You I, can say I, whatever you want. I'm yeah. here all this time. I don't feel comfortable in Salt Lake still. I'm yeah. still a New Yorker. You yeah, know? yeah. Um, let me ask you this: if you think to in all of your New York years, the band, like the, like think of a time that you were playing with the band that you felt the most, like the highest musical highs of that time. And just tell me about what that was like. Well, I would say that, um, a few, it was, wasn't, you know, a few experiences. First of all, just being able to play our music every week, you know, yeah. with, that you was a, like a regular gig. You know, 22 years old out of college and you can do that, you know, with musicians that are yeah. Really good, and the main thing is the musicians were better than me. That yep. makes that yes. makes you better, you know. Can you just like describe in like your words what it's like, like what you feel like it's like to play with musicians who really inspire you and who you really trust? Well, you just find stuff that you didn't think you can do, right. you know. Yeah, you say, "Wow, I did that!" You know, <laughs> that was kind of cool. Yeah, um, I love the feeling of hearing <laughs> great musicians play my music and hearing them like bring out different things in the chords that I just think like. I didn't know that was in there. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of thrilling. Like there's, there's, there's not a lot like hearing other great musicians play something that you invented in your brain. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's yeah. a pretty cool feeling. And then the other thing is, you know, uh, it's a it's kind of, uh, of more of a thrill when something you write works, I think. Yeah. That's someone you play works, that you improvise. That's how I feel too, for sure. Do you <laughs> want to say more about that? Yeah, why? Well, the, the improvising, I kind of know where it's going to go. I mean, not exactly. It wouldn't be improvising, but, you know, you got an idea of what you want to do, especially if you're recording what you want the yeah. statement to be. But writing the stuff to get you to that point, that's that's the the, the more satisfying thing, I think. Yeah. You know, um, which is another thing that's happened um, just since... Um, writing for the fire still burns yeah. um and uh the writing for that album was um was organic it, it i didn't try to do it it's kind of still confuses me and i've got the second album the next album written too in the same mm -hmm. manner uh hopefully we we'll get to do it in the fall but we'll see but tell um, me everything like what do you mean about this it uh, confuses you tell, well, tell me. i i don't seem to need to write at the piano anymore <laughs> you know interesting I, I, um i just uh all the all the two well maybe not all except for one all the tunes of the fire still burns were written walking like a, in a yeah, walk or walking or, 
but the, the, you know, it's, sometimes I need to go back and figure out some different harmonies that, that I'm not yeah. hearing. I go to the piano, but otherwise sometimes they come out whole, you know? Wow. And, uh, so it's sort of like, uh, it feels like I'm just finding that I'm not the effortless now that yeah. I used to, to pull my hair out, getting worried. When am I going to get an idea to write something? I could go yeah. get writer's block. And it's been the opposite of that. Do and you have theories about like, What's changed? Like no, I I ha- don't have a clue. Yeah, maybe I just like experience or um, maybe it's about opportunity that that stuff I'm writing I'm gonna I've had an opportunity to actually record and play. Sure. So maybe it's giving like some ex- inspiration or something. Yeah. Um, I had another question about that. I have a, a basically a, a, a thing where Go if ahead. if I uh uh. You know, basically, I don't know. That's interesting to ask you this question. I have music going around my head twenty four seven. It doesn't matter if I'm watching TV or I have a mm-hmm. talking with you right now. I, yeah. I'm I'm hearing and seeing the figurings of a saxophone solo then over rhythm changes. Wow. You know? Yeah, and it will be annoying for me. Yeah, except I like a lot of it. You yeah. know? <laughs> I love that so but, much. That's but amazing. does that happen to you? I think sometimes, but for me, it's maybe like a little bit more abstract. Like it's maybe not um, like specifically music, but like it's more just like ideas. Like sometimes the ideas are more like text. Like sometimes the ideas are are words. Sometimes the ideas are like conceptual things. And Mm -hmm. that could be like a story concept or like a a feeling concept Mm -hmm. or some kind of an instrumentation concept. Yeah. But yeah, I have a pretty busy brain, (laughs) but it's maybe not as much like just explicitly music, although certainly like it sometimes is. It's kind of like uh, embarrassing sometimes because somebody would be talking to me and my mind will just wander because say, oh yeah, that's going somewhere. Let me listen to this a second in my, and I say, well, what were you talking about? Sorry. Yeah. I was playing music in my brain. I think that's amazing. But anyway, my process is for writing now, it seems to be that, um, if I, um, it's always original. I never hum anybody else's music, but yeah. um, if I um, have a melody that I like, the, the intelligent thing would do to write it down so you don't forget it. But yeah. if I forget it, it wasn't that good. Yeah. The, the stuff that's good, I'll remember the next day or a week later or It'll something. Come so if it comes back to me, it's that's, that's the one. That's I'll, the proofing. That's that's cool. Has to get there. Okay, I love to talk with people about the um, separation between, or the, not the separation. I should say the relationship between yourself and your art. Um, whether you feel like the art you make changes you, whether you feel like you change and then you make art, like whether you feel like your art represents a certain part of yourself or if it's more holistic, how do you see it? That's a really good question that I've thought about a lot. And the only answer I've ever been able to come up with is that, um, I guess I, unlike you with the the lyrics and everything, you know, I have, um, if I had to write lyrics, they'd never get written. Yeah. It's just (laughs) Um, not your medium, which is fine. I don't even... I shouldn't say this to a singer. Go ahead. I've got a thick skin. <laughs> um, it's why I like you so yeah. much, singing. <laughs> yeah. I don't listen to li- lyrics when I mm-hmm. listen to music. Yeah. Uh, unless it's got a good melody. Yeah. Then it's okay. I'll go on to the lyrics. Sure. Know? Sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that's yeah. perfectly fine to say. Yeah. <laughs> but fine. You, you pass the test. But. Oh, great. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, the, the reason I think I'm attracted to music is it's, it's, um, it's, um, it's not specific, you know, it's, it, it's nobody knows exactly what you're thinking or meaning at the time. Right. So you yeah. could sound really angry and you could be expressing joy, right. you know, um, 
Um, so I, I, music is very emotional for me, but I don't necessarily put specific emotions attached yeah. to it. You know, do you feel like your music represents you? Like, like I heard a, I was interviewing a, a choreographer once and he said something that I think about so often. He said, people who've seen my work, my, my dancers, know me better than people who haven't yeah how do you feel about like that kind of an idea absolutely because um um i'm kind of shy you know yeah. and i don't get to know people that well or maybe it's they don't get to me know me that well yeah. um because i i don't think i have a walls around me i'm just kind of reserved yeah. um i get it i think i'm I think I'm like that too, but I really like talking like this. Like yeah, I really I like, like talking one-on-one. To on specific one. people. Mm -hmm. I'm, like this is great. At a party, I'll go in a corner and just hang up I, on myself. I just won't go to a party. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> I'll be not there. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny thing. I've placed so many weddings. Like, I dread if ever I'm going to be invited to a wedding and have to go as a guest. I think about that so much. <laughs> I hate them. I'm not even kidding. Like, I... Yeah, I, I just did a photo shoot for this new album that I'm working on and I, I I bought a long dress for one of the for one of the for the photo shoot and I, I hardly ever wear anything like that. I'm always wearing like pants when I'm performing or mm -hmm. or maybe I'm performing in a wedding and I'm wearing like more of like a cocktail dress kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But I bought this long flowy dress, which is totally impractical to sing <laughs> cover band music in. You know, I need to be able to move more. <laughs> yeah. But I thought like well, this dress is really pretty. Maybe I could like wear it to a wedding. And then I just had this thought of like, who would even invite me to their wedding? Like, <laughs> I was just like, it was like a weird, like I suddenly like saw myself in the other side and was like, that's very odd. It's like kind of weird. I was like, do you know what I mean? Like yeah. I saw myself as like a wedding guest and it was like, I had a disorienting moment. Yeah. I, 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 so would you say that like, so you feel like maybe you are expressive in with music in a way that you aren't as a like without it well i think music music uh, basically i'm of um a very optimistic outlook on life and i think that comes through in the, through in the music yeah. and i think it can be uh, it's more evident there than if you just talk to me i might sure. sound kind of you know just hang around doing nothing not being very excited but I might feel a lot of this excitement inside. If I had the horn, I'd express yeah. it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, so maybe I'm kind of like, you know, nitpicking too much, but like, do you, do you feel like it's like you, you are just your whole self, like you're just yourself, but maybe other people like aren't kind of seeing it and they see more of it in the music. Yeah. Yeah. I think like something I've been sort of like realizing about myself lately and I feel really young. So like, I don't know. I hope that I met, I hope that any like realizations I'm having now, I'll have like new and better ones mm -hmm. next decade. And, but something I've been realizing kind of about my current self and maybe my past self is like, I think I have like almost like a, a dual. Like I, I think I have a bit of a duality. I think I like, I'm very like dreamy and kind of magical. And I like, things that are really ethereal and kind of intangible. And I feel like music lets me participate mm, in that yeah. kind of part of myself. Yeah, yeah. But as a human, I'm very practical and I can sometimes be very serious um, and like kind of meticulous in a way that isn't always very free. Mm -hmm. um, and so I feel like for me, it's almost like a split. It's almost like the music like lets me, like the music is where part of myself lives rather than kind of like 
you know, like I hear some artists say like, the music is me and I am the music or the, you know, filmmaking or whatever it is, the writing, you know, whatever medium, because I interview people, all kinds of mediums. But for, for me, I feel like it's more like the music is like a really significant part of my person mm-hmm. that maybe just isn't in like the per- the non-musician self. <laughs> yeah. 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 Do you feel any of that kind of thing? Well, well, I, I might accept for the fact that, um, that I'm just hearing music all the time. Yeah. So I've so always seemed to connect with it, you know? Yeah. And, um, Sometimes I wish I would stop, but then that's where I'm writing is coming from. So I hope yeah. it doesn't. <laughs> yeah, it should never stop. It's funny that it's, I've gone through it. It's sort of like, um, uh, again, a jag or something that I have one melody in my mind. I can't get that out. Something I wrote, some recent, yeah. I don't have my old stuff that I've done yeah. recorded. It's new, new things, ideas, you know. And, um, um, Again, I, I was going somewhere with that. But. It's okay. Maybe it'll come back. Well, <laughs> no, it's well, probably oh, it, it, that important. But <laughs> well, we were talking about like if the music is like uh, f- flush with your identity. <clears throat> yeah, it's okay. Yeah. Um, uh, let's talk about this new record. So, so your nephew re-released. Sorry, what was the name? Valley of Search. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and and it did it. You found that you had this cult following or whatever, and it was like well, kind of a big deal. I don't know how big a deal it was. It, it was there, you know. How, was, did it, <laughs> how did that feel to you? We enabled us so we, when we went back to New York to, to um, do some concerts to for the release. You now we were able to sell out the concerts. So, do you um, do you how do you deal with like criticism and rejection? <clears throat> um, you know what I do with criticism and rejection. <laughs> um. Is I become my worst enemy, which is what I agree with them. Mm, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But is this like a problem for you, or do you? Because like as we're talking, I'm feeling like it's not. But no, am I? It's not. Be- it's hardly because, ever an issue. Because if I agree with them, I say, yeah, thanks. Maybe give me something to work on. Sure. <laughs> you know, as you're talking, like you know, I I'm I'm wanting to know like how it's feeling to have this kind of validation and. You haven't like said it, but I'm thinking about like, you know, this kind of advice of like, if you listen to the praise, you have to listen to the criticism too. Mm-hmm. And are, are, am I like understanding that right? That maybe you just kind of yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's it, it, it doesn't matter yeah. to you as much. Yeah, I would yeah. say that. It's like um, generally the fire still burns. Got um, I, I didn't expect to get as good as reviews as I expect yeah. you know, nice reviews. I yeah. think it's a good record. Um, but it got like, um, downright raves in a lot of places. I mean, but having a write up in Rolling Stone is like, that's, <laughs> that, that, that doesn't, that doesn't feel like anything to you. Well, I think it would have felt a lot more if I'd been younger. You know? This is why I'm wondering. Like, this is why I want to know about those in-between years. I just years, said that to myself. Wow, this would have felt amazing if they happened when I was 30. What, cha- <laughs> like, what changed? Like, I want to know how you have arrived at this place of like, okay, great. That's great. I'm glad people liked it. Like, how, how did you do it? How, what happened? I just relaxed a little bit. Yeah. I think it's, I don't feel, I think there's more pressure when you're younger. You know, you want to, there's so many other reasons why you want success other than, what you're doing, not than just the music, you know, yeah. you want to get money, 
you want to have a career, you, you want this to lead to that and that to lead yeah. to another thing. You've got 40 years, 50, 60 years ahead of you to look at. Yeah. But now it's a nice record. I'll right. we'll think about the next one now. You know, I feel like the thing that I feel like I want, like, and, and I, try, I, I, I have to be really careful about this kind of stuff because I was raised by narcissists and never <laughs> got, I never, I never felt loved, you know? Mm. And, and so I, ha- I have to really keep this kind of stuff in check, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. to make sure that I'm not like, I, I'm really pretty mindful about it. But I think like the thing that I want so badly is to just be like seen and heard and valued, you know, and it's not so much validation as just like, the, thank you for making this, you know, thank you for being a person that's in the world. Yeah. Um, and, and, uh, I don't know if, what my point is or, or a question even, but, um, I don't know. I can, I can imagine it feeling really nice to just make something and just kind of feel like the value exists in like having made it and having, yeah, but I don't know. No, that, that, that I get that. Um, uh, that, that the criticism though, um, you know, that the, in, in all those reviews, there's a few, there was no negative reviews, but there was a few that said had some criticisms of a certain tune or a certain approach of my plan or something. And most of it, I said, wow, I know. I was hoping nobody would catch that. <laughs> That's awesome. And you just, it doesn't like affect your worth. Yeah. No. That's cool. Um, do you have, um, do you have any advice for creatives? Um, I don't, f- I don't know who would want to take advice from me. I would. <laughs> oh, okay. I, I am. <laughs> okay. Me. <Yeah. laughs> because I've had a strange career. I have a first album um, at, at 24 and then going 46 years for the next critically success, critical I mean, success. Like I said, like, you know, I, I'm, 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 tur- I'm 33. I turned 33 last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I feel like, I mean, I hope I'm at the beginning of my life still, you know, I hope I have plenty of time. Mm-hmm. And, um, w- when I look at like someone like you in my, in my city, I think like, here's a person who's still making beautiful things. Who's like this vibrant, creative person. And I hope that like, I will keep being a vibrant, creative person. So, mm. I mean that any, any kind of, any wisdom that you feel like you've had or any kind of things that you tell yourself that help, like, I mean, maybe you kind of just don't think like that, but <laughs> if you did, I would be interested. I don't know. I think I think I've been helped in life um, just by natural kind of sunny disposition, yeah. which has made it easier for me to shrug off the the hardships and uh, I guess maybe the stuff that's been successful that hasn't felt as successful because I, I don't worry about it as much. How do you feel like you reconcile this like sunny disposition? Because I I agree, you seem this way. I don't know you that well, but I've always se- felt like you seem pretty sunny. And finding all this depth in your music and all this kind of emotional range. I think there can be a lot of depth and sunniness. Yeah. Tell, I mean, what do you think? Tell me more. <laughs> I, I, I think that like when I, sunniness, I'm not talking about a, 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 um, just a, like a, a, like the Utah thing. Smile, mm-hmm. a fa- yeah. facade, a smile as they a call facade. It like toxic positivity. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, like I have had, um, I haven't had trouble making acquaintances in Utah, but I've had trouble making friends. Yeah, me too. Because everybody's so nice, but it seems to be that after, 
not much. It might be my fault too. But anyway, um, yeah. but um, I think in, in there, there's a whole lot of. Um, I mean, there could be a lot of anger in there, not sure. personal. I have had okay. a pretty charmed life personally, yeah. but as far as you know, it's just injustices in the world and all that, yeah. and that's in the music, I think. Yeah. Um, but again, I, I I can't really specify that. Uh, it might be where you don't think it's going to be in the music. Totally, you, know, yeah. you think you hear the screaming thing, you think that's the anger. That might be the exuberance. The, the exuberance, yeah. right? I I totally get that. I mean, I I. Obviously, I don't know like exactly what it feels like to be in your brain, but as you're talking, I feel like, I think I, I think I understand that. I'm basically kind of like my mother. She was like this. She, yeah. um, she was, uh, she had a really hard life and the health problems. I and mean, she was right to the end. Of, you hang out with her, you come out in a good mood. Passed a few a, a year ago, like um, pretty recently. No, it's right? um more like uh, around. I can't remember the year, like 2003 or four. Okay. I must be thinking of someone else who lost their mother more recently. Yeah. Um, What what were you saying about her? She just, she. I think she just, um, I I got that by osmosis from her maybe. Yeah. That's awesome. (laughs) I think that's really beautiful. Um, I guess I just have kind of one. So I have like two questions that I ask at the end to everybody, but I have one last question just for you and it's okay if you don't have an answer, but any, any uh, like soapboxes that you have lately, like, about art or, you know, about art as it relates to our social lives, as it relates to politics. Like, is there anything else that you just, you know, if you have this kind of open platform, like anything else that you just want to say? Um, anything that's I guess just that, been that, like you know, on your I mind I don't know lately. if I have might have said it already, but I, I, I think that the music basically encapsulates all of, all, all of that, you know, like... Um, Political, definitely political stuff. Definitely spiritual things. Just you know, yeah. um, uh, uh, part of it is is. Uh, do you ever feel that's when you're um, playing and having a, a a good set, a good night, or something that? Um, it's almost like I say almost because it's not a scientific proof of God by any means, but mm. um, uh, and that's a personal thing. I would never try to prove or disprove. The existence of God to anybody believe believe you want, but yeah. um, it feels like um, you need to say thank you. That's the thank you has to be said in the music. One hundred. What better place is there to direct that thank you to than the Creator? You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think about this so much, and I talk about this with my guests a lot. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think the reason that I became a musician is because I had an experience like that when I was. 17, I think I might've been 16, but it was like around that time. And I had one of those experiences making music with a small group. I mean, I think there were maybe 18 singers mm-hmm. in a, like a little chamber, mm-hmm. uh, madrigal choir. Um, and yeah, it just, I don't know. It felt transcendent to me mm-hmm. and I felt like just love, you know, and not, not even like, I love these people, but like, just like an understanding, like some kind of a, a bigger, deeper thing. And yeah, right. just thought like, well, I got to follow that. It's kind like of there's like no other option. Beyonce's <laughs> like, tune you're part of some, something bigger. Yeah. Like how, how could I, how could I not spend the rest of my life? Like find looking for that. Right. <laughs> like there's no other option. Right. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's even just like I had a rehearsal here last night. Um, you know, first time kind of playing, in a while with some other musicians and, and the first time hearing these new originals that I've just been writing. Oh, that must have been nice. Yeah. It was 
lovely. And it wasn't, you know, that serious of a rehearsal or anything, kind of just running through tunes for, you know, maybe the second time. Um, yeah. And just felt like this gratitude, like you mm -hmm. said, and, 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 you know, sometimes I think about this a step further. And, and again, I talk about this with my guests a lot, but I think, I think the gift of music and, and art in general is like, when you have that evidence, you have this kind of evidence in front of you of like, there's something beautiful here, like in this humanity, there's something right. beautiful in this yeah. shared experience. I think it, it primes your brain to imagine that kind of, imagine having that kind of a feeling with this other person, that other person, mm -hmm. people on the other side of the world, people, you know, who are really different from you. When you've kind of seen how that can happen, I don't know. Yeah. It, it, it makes you maybe look for it in, in others mm -hmm. or be a little more patient or a little more creative in thinking about, you know, where do we have common ground? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Or what are, what other possibilities are there? You know, I think our society, especially lately is so black and white, this, that, you know, where, you know, there are so many possibilities. <laughs> like, yeah. There's a third and a fourth and a 13th option. You know, <laughs> So many ways of thinking about stuff. Okay. Well, I always ask everybody in closing, what's your dream collaboration on this day? Who, and it could be any medium. I'm assuming you'll pick musicians, but who would you love? You can pick people who are not alive as well. Who would you love to play with? Who would I like to play with? Or, um, or just make something with. Who would you like to collaborate with? Well, this is like an interesting um, question because, well, an interesting answer because um, the band that I recorded that last album with, I'm fine with them. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's your people. <laughs> um, that's not to say, yeah, I had a band of I can name names of people. Um, mm. I'm satisfied listening to John Coltrane. I don't need to play with him. You yeah, know, <laughs> yeah. I think I feel the same way. Like when I imagine collaborating with people whose music like really influenced me, right. I think like, mm -hmm. I'd rather just hear what you're doing. <laughs> just listen to it. Right. Yeah. That's cool. Well, if you ever imagine a vocal line on anything, <laughs> wordless is great with me. Uh -huh. And I'd love to, I would yeah. love to collaborate with you. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, well, the final thing is, unless you have anything else you'd like to say, um, tell everybody where to find your music. Um, look for, um, Alan Michael Brafman. Got the Brafman in there. Um, B R A U F A. M-A-N. Uh -huh. Or just Alan Brofman. Uh, the two albums that are uh, available right now are the, uh, the, the reissue, The Valley of Search, um, which is done in 1975, and um, the new one called The Fire Still Burns, both available on uh, Bandcamp or Amazon. Okay. And, um, uh, yeah. Hopefully a new record coming soon. Hopefully in the fall. Like yeah. I said, it's, it's written. Great. Uh, <laughs> That's awesome. It's just, again, uh, uh Waiting for um, the conditions to be right to go back to New York oh. to record it. Right, right. Yeah. Well, it's happening. It's happening soon. Alan, thank you so much. This was such a joy to get to know you better and talk thank, with you. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Artifice. Our theme song is As You Are from My Album Masks with artwork and merch designs by Sarah Keel. If you'd like to recommend a professional artist for an interview on the podcast, you can reach me through my website, emilymerrellmusic.com. That's E-M-I-L-Y-M-E-R-R-E-L-L-Music.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks again. Have a great week.